So this week we are back in the book of Genesis as we continue a look at the life of Abraham and his difficult journey of faith. His life that teaches us so much about what it looks like and what it doesn't look like to live by faith. Now, when we were in Genesis two, two weeks ago, we looked at how to deal with doubt. We talked about how we should bring our doubts to God and allow his promises to change our doubts into hope. We use that new favorite quote from Hudson, the Chinese missionary, Hudson Taylor, that I love when someone asked him how he was doing in the mission field and he replied with, I got 25 cents and all the promises of God. What a great quote. Now today, as we transfer from 15 to 16, we're going to look at the temptations that come our way when we have this hope and we have these promises, but they don't come fast enough. They don't come in the time frame that we're expecting or we believe should happen. There's a very big temptation that comes that can cause a tremendous amount of damage in our lives if we do not pay attention to it. So may the Lord speak to us all this morning. I'll show you what I mean. We're going to get started here. I'm going to read Genesis chapter 16 straight through, starting in verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram. Her husband gave to Abram her husband as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. Verse 5. Now Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram, Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, and the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from, and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. Verse 11. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son and you will call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Bir Lahairoi, if I can get that out. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. 
And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called his name, called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. And Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore, bore Ishmael to Abraham. This is the word of the Lord. So let me give you a little context, just in case you're new to the story of Abram or you need a little refresher. This is Abram, remember Abraham's name before God changed it, which we'll see next, next week. When we were first introduced to Abram and Sarai, we learned that they were both, they were barren. They were unable to have children. But God made this promise to Abraham that on two different, on two different occasions that he would indeed be a father. And in fact, his offspring would be such high a number, they would be like the sand of the shore or the stars of the sky. They could not be counted. And that the entire world would be blessed by his offspring, which we now know was the birth of Jesus Christ. But it's been many years since those two promises were made and no child has appeared. So this is the backdrop, the setting, the context, if you will, uh, to this story, to this chapter, where in the past it's been primarily focused on Abram, but this chapter really focuses on Sarai. And I think it's a pretty obvious statement to say she is struggling. Right? God made these promises to her husband years ago, so they've probably been trying and trying and trying, and yet there is no child. None. So she's left with this question of, how can God give Abram the promise of a child, and yet I can't get pregnant? And some women know the pain and the struggle of being in that place. And so in response, she does something that I think it's easy for us to do when we don't see God coming through. We start to look for someone to blame, a reason for it all. Genesis 16, 2, and Sarai said to Abram, behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Sarah's like, God obviously does not want me a part of this promise, now, here's the problem with her assumption. There's no evidence that God did this to her. Nowhere does it say God closed Sarai's womb. Scripture just says she was barren. And we need to pay attention to her assumption because it can be easy for us to assume God is doing things or he is behind things sometimes that he is not. Sometimes things that happen in this world or, how, or do not happen in this world, are simply from the fact that we live in a world broken by sin. Our bodies are broken by sin. The world is broken by sin. For, for example, I've had people who sit down across from me and they say, why did God give me cancer? And I can only imagine the internal struggle as, if, as they are fighting that disease of like, why? Especially when it comes out of nowhere. And so I, I try to be soft, but I try to pose this question, how do you know that God gave you cancer? How do you know that your body's just not broken because of sin? Or how do you know that you've not been exposed to some man-made thing that's given you cancer? Now, it's true, sometimes God does cause things in our lives. We see examples of those in the Bible. But in the end, we don't know which is which or what is what. We don't know what he has caused or what he has just simply allowed. And so it's dangerous for us to assume that we know the mind and the intention and the actions of God outside of Scripture. 
Because, it, because out of these wrong assumptions, we make wrong actions. For example, in this moment, Sarai stops looking for how God is going to work in her life and bring a child through her with her husband. And she starts taking matters into her own hands. And as we will see, and I guarantee you, probably all of us could stand to attest to, literally nothing good comes from trying to do God's job for him. Nothing. So today, in those times where we don't feel like God is moving or not moving fast enough and we're wondering what is going on, I want to talk about a new discipline to practice. It is called the discipline of delay. The discipline of pausing before we take matters into our own hands. Now, Pastor Charles Swindle, he came up with this cool acronym I want to use to kind of explain this discipline of delay, and I've, I've altered it a little bit, but it's called WAIT, W-A-I-T, WAIT. And I'm going to walk through what these, this acronym means, and, and, and I'm hoping and I'm praying that when we are in these times where we're feeling frustrated and we're feeling impatient, when we're waiting for God to move, that the Holy Spirit will press these truths on our lives. That we may not make the same mistake that we've seen Abram make and that we'll now see Sarai make. That we will, like we sang earlier, keep our eyes up and on the Lord. Amen, church? Amen. Now, the, the W in our acronym WAIT, it stands for walk slowly. To walk slowly. You know, when we're impatient with God, we need to learn to walk slowly. And, and, and slowly is not something we like as Americans. We like fast. We like speed. We like quick reactions. We like to move. We like to get things done. We like to check things off the boxes. We do not like things unresolved. Have you ever noticed that it's our tendency uh, when we are impatient, when we're frustrated, to speed up, to move fast, because we're angry, and so we're going to move really fast so we can feel better about the situation. Like we're trying to make up for lost time. And uh, Some of you, this, uh, the Lord is going to convict you of sin right now. Maybe not all of you, but when you're on the freeway and you're behind someone who's not going a preferred speed for you and you're stuck behind them, and you get angry. Now, some of you, you're like, you just, you chill. You, you're, you're all right with it. You'll deal with it. Others of you, you'll get angry. What you will do, you will slam on the gas and you will go around them really hard with sharp turns to, as to make a point that you were holding me up. And then once you get in the right lane, back to your speed, you're at ease again. Still annoyed, but you're at ease. Dom, is the Lord convicting you right now? Is he, is he convicting you right now? Yes, <laughs> Susan's calling you out. May the Lord free you from that, Right? And then you feel better because now you don't have anybody holding you up. You're back where you were supposed to be. And that's what the heart of this frustration is. You're not where you want to be as quickly as you want to be. And so you take matters into your own hands. You speed up to get around that slow poke. At the heart, this is what Sarai is doing. A baby is not coming fast enough for her. And I get her struggle. She's old. And it's been years since these promises were made. In fact, it'll be 25 years when Isaac is eventually born from the first time Abraham got that promise. You think you've waited a long time for something. 
right? And so she says, all right, this isn't happening. We must go a different route. I'm going to change lanes. Abram, I want you to sleep with your female servant, and I'll have the child through her. Now, somebody who understands the culture of those days, understands history, history might just say, she assumed, she was just assuming she was not a part of God's promise, and she's going through perfectly legal customs, right? Because that was a custom in that day. A barren woman, head of a house, could take one of their maidservants, give her to her husband as a wife, and that if a child came out of that union, that first wife would adopt it as the first son or first child, which seems messed up to us today. And we'll talk about that, actually, that whole culture in several weeks from now. But she could just literally be following the customs of that day. But notice what I'm, I, I'm, I'm saying there. It's the customs of that day. God does not call us to live according to the customs of our culture. He calls us to live according to the word of God. As we sang in Psalm 130, that is where we are to put our hope. And what does he say? Let's go all the way back, 14 chapters to Genesis 2. He says that God, speaking, says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, in all the ways that matter. So in light of Genesis 2, I have trouble seeing how Sarai was doing anything but getting ahead of God. And I also want you to notice, and we're going to talk about Hagar in several weeks and the angel of the Lord and all of that. But for now, I just want you to notice in verse 8, when, when Hagar ran away from Sarai, the, the angel of the Lord said to her in verse 8, he said this. He said, Hagar, servant of Sarai. Notice he does not refer to her as wife of Abram. See, the customs of that day may have recognized this marriage, but that does not mean God does. You know, it made me think of the growing custom of in our day, both outside of the church and inside of the church, are people living together before marriage. People having sex together before marriage. Why? Because they're impatient and they want to give in to their urges. Or because it's more financially responsible, it's financially better off, cost them less money. That's the growing custom of our day both outside of the church and, and far too often inside the church. And yet the Bible sets a standard of sex only taking place in marriage. We need to learn to slow down when we're feeling impatient for God to move, for God to work, to make sure that we are in step with him and that we are not ahead of him. Because sometimes, you ever, I remember when I would go hiking uh, with my uncle when I was young, we, my aunt, we would go and I was a kid full of youth and energy and they were too slow and old for me, so I'd have to run past them. And then what I would do, sometimes I would take the wrong turn. Now they would see and yell at me, but because they got ahead of me, I went down the wrong turn. Thankfully, they didn't let me go. And the same thing happens when we get ahead of God. It would be important for you to ask yourself this morning, where in your life are you getting ahead of God? Where are you tempted to get ahead of God? Where are you impatient? Where are you feeling frustrated? 
Where do you want to push things that God may not be asking you to push? One of my favorite quotes, I, I use it a lot, I think, is that God is with me and that God is ahead of me. So what is my next right step? You ever been running so fast, you end up tripping over a rock right in front of you? Okay, maybe it was just me. <laughs> Apparently. Though I think y'all just don't want to admit it. And that's what happens when we get ahead of God. We're so busy looking at where we want to go, we don't even see the stumbling blocks in front of us. But when we're trusting God and we're, we want to focus on our next step and say, Lord, what do you want me to do next? I, you, got, you have all of that, so I just need to focus on next. Then we pay attention, careful attention to where we're stepping and the temptations and the stumbling blocks that are in our way. And then, of course, God always gets us where he wants us to go. So the question is, how do you do that? How do you focus on that next right step of honoring and glorifying God? How would Sarai have done that? Glad you asked. It brings us to our next letter in our acronym of WAIT. The A, which stands for ask God. Ask God for patience, for wisdom, and self-control. We talked about this last week. When we have doubts, like Abram had doubts about these promises of God. What did he do? He said, God, here are my doubts. We take them to God. When we're frustrated, we're impatient, we go to God. We ask him for wisdom. Proverbs 19.2 says, Desire without knowledge is not good. And whoever makes haste with his feet will miss his way. You know, I wonder how things would have turned out if Sarah would just stopped and asked God for wisdom on what she should do because it, it's not recorded and neither is it implied. James 1.5, If any of you lacks wisdom, it says God will give it to you. No matter how great of a Christian or bad of a Christian you've been, you ask for wisdom, he'll give it to you. Where do you need God's wisdom in your life? We all need God's wisdom. Have you asked him? Have you said, Lord, I need your wisdom in this area? In your marriage, with your children, in your school, in your job, with your health. And, and here's why it's so incredible to a, important to ask wisdom. Because asking for wisdom is an act of humility. It's an act of humility. It's, it's something that causes you to pause because you are saying, you know what? I feel this way. I want this. I don't want that. But in the end, I don't know the right thing to do outside of the word of God. I don't know what, what is best. I know what I want, but I don't know what's best. The Lord, I need your wisdom how to proceed. This is a good prayer to pray. Now, I will say sometimes you do not need to pray to get God's wisdom. Yes, a pastor just said that. Sometimes you just need to open up your Bible. Asking God for wisdom when it's already written for you in his word is like asking somebody for dinner when it's already sitting on a plate in front of you. When scripture speaks to your situation, You don't need to ask God for that wisdom. Now, you need to ask God for the strength to apply it, for the self-control and the patience, but it's there for you. He's telling you what to do. I, I, we were in a Bible study. I was in a Bible study about a month ago, and Tim Kopko was talking about looking up Scripture, and he says, you know, use Google if you don't know where one is. He said, Google's not the devil. He said, it's a tool. 
He's the tool. So if you need to know a scripture on how to deal with difficult people, type in Bible verses on how to deal with difficult people or how to deal with frustration. And I've used it so many times that it usually punches you up to a couple of good sites right up at the top. Now, it's always good to read contexts, to open up your Bible, to read the context around it so you don't take it out of context. But there's lots of wisdom in the Bible that's waiting for you. And now it's easier to get to than ever. So when you read like Rome, you know, let's say you're having trouble with somebody else, you know, and there's a little lack of peace there. And you're like, Lord, I, I need wisdom. And then, and then you look up Romans 12, 18. It says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And you're like, all right, I need to do everything that I can to live at peace with this person. And so he's got, Lord, help me to have gentleness. Help me to have self-control and patience and all the fruits of the spirit that are in Galatians 5. Ask God for wisdom. But she doesn't do these things. She goes to her husband and says, I want you to sleep with my maidservant. And this is where Abram sits down his wife and says in compassion, sweetheart, Lord, sweetheart, the Lord knows everything. And he gave me you before he gave me this promise, and he will see us through. We must learn from the past mistakes and trust him and pray together. Yeah, no. It says, Abram, listen to the voice of Sarai. Hey, Abram, I need you to go sleep with your maid service. You can have sex with her so I can have a child through her. And Abram's like, okay, sure. Man, this is a very good reminder you need to be spiritual leaders in your home. Now, sometimes wives need to be spiritual leaders with their husbands, so I'm not saying that. But in this context, Abram is completely passive as a spiritual leader in his home. When your wife is not in a good spot, you must do the hard job of correcting her and encouraging her. You may just want to appease her, I've sat in marriage counseling before where the husbands literally said to me, I'm afraid of my wife. And I knew the wife, so I got it. You know, I get, I get that, right? But your fear is not an excuse for disobedience. You might want to be passive. You may not want to engage her. You may not want to have the tough conversations. Far too many men have given in to that passivity. And their families suffer for it. When your, Lord, your wife is not trusting the Lord, when she is not beating, being obedient in the Lord, you need to speak truth into her life. Now you need to do it with love and compassion as we read in Colossians 3. You also need to be able to look in the mirror and see where your faults have contributed to this. You know, I partially wonder, like the text does not say this at all, but like I wonder... Sarai's reaction, did any of Abram's rea uh, uh, actions in the past play a role into this? The time he told her to lie and will do it again about being his wife because he was afraid? The time that he took things into his own hands, has that been influencing the way that she thinks? Text doesn't say it, but I wonder. Men, may the Lord convict you in your life where you are not being a spiritual leader to the woman that God has put in your life. And may you have the humility to ask for help from others and how to do it because we all need help to be the men and husbands that we've been called to be. Amen?
So to practice the discipline of delay, we want to wait. We want to walk slowly. We want to ask God for wisdom and patience and self-control. And then the I. Imagine what God might be doing. Curiosity is a fantastic ally to hope. It's a great way to get us to proceed slowly. The reminder that God holds all the cards, he knows exactly when to play them. And when you realize that, you start thinking and wondering, okay, what could God be doing that I don't see? What plans could he be working out? And sometimes he's just working out stuff in your own life. I mean, when we're waiting on God, uh, our insecurities come out, right? Our idols come to light. They get revealed. And a wonderful opportunity to repent of those and to grow for them and to trust in him. But that'll, those only come out in those times of waiting. So if nothing else, that is the beauty, even though it's really stinks when you're going through it. No one enjoys it. But there's a freedom that comes in times of waiting as we learn to trust in the Lord. Now sometimes, he's just waiting for the right moment to do the right things. You remember the, uh, the book of Esther, what, two years ago, right? Where God uh, used Esther, Queen Esther, to save her people, the Israelites, from annihilation. If you remember, she had an uncle named Mordecai. And early on in the story, chapter one or two, Mordecai, he overheard some officials who were going to assassinate the king. And so he goes to the king's upper officials and he tells them, and these guys were captured, probably murdered, and how, you know, and, 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 and the whole assassination attempt is foiled. Now, how's he rewarded? He's not. He gets nothing. In fact, a man that he despises named Haman gets promoted. He might have felt frustrated and annoyed. Now, what happens chapters later, eventually Haman, because him and Mordecai did not like each other, Haman, because he was like second in command, he was going to have Mordecai murdered, hung. Mordecai's on death row. Then you might remember the story, what happens? The king has a restless night of sleep. Couldn't sleep, so he goes, hey, you know, they didn't have Netflix back then, so he's like, bring me the, the history books of the, of the kingdom. And so that's what he's reading at night. And then, and then he comes across Mordecai, and he's like, oh yeah, this guy who foiled this assassination plot against me. And, and he asks, hey, what did we do for this guy? Did we do anything for him? Like, did we send him a gift basket? You know, gift certificate to a hair salon or something. And to his shock, nothing was ever done. And so the king orders, and he uses Haman to do it, which Haman hated, to honor Mordecai, which saved Mordecai's life. Perfect moment where this reward was never given and held out by God was brought out the perfect moment to save Mordecai's life. Now, if he would, if you study this, you know these kings were very fickle. They were very, like, what have you done for me now? They love you one day, they'll cut your throat the next. And they were paranoid because someone was probably always out to get them. And so if Mordecai would have got this reward years ago when he foiled this plot, it would much more likely the king would have had no problem executing him now. Because, well, he's just gone bad. But God saves this for just the perfect moment. Sometimes God just holds things back because he has a greater purpose. I mean, Hebrews 11, 
The writer of Hebrews about Abraham, he says that Abraham, he says this, therefore from one man, and him as good as dead, means he was older than dirt, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. In other words, God waited and waited. He waited 25 years until Abraham and Sarah were so old, there'd be no question that it was the power of God that brought Isaac to the world and began the first step of God's promise of Jesus Christ. In your time of waiting, whatever you're struggling for, whatever you're frustrated for, whatever you're feeling impatient for, have you started imagining, okay, what could God be doing? What could he be doing that I can't see, even if that work is just in me? I pray, I pray, Lord, next time you're feeling frustrated, that, you just, that that thought, that question would come to your mind. So what could God be doing? Amen, church? All right, so we're going to walk slowly. We're going to ask God for wisdom, patience, and self-control. We're going to imagine what God could be doing. And finally, we're going to think, T, about how others might be impacted, how could be impacted. When we're impatient in our lives and feeling frustrated, we're so later-focused, we don't stop and consider what damage we could do. How many times have you seen somebody do what I did earlier? I'm going to go back to Dom. I'm going to take a look at you over here, big guy. How many times have we seen him take that big turn to get out from behind that slow, spoke, that slow poke and nearly cause an accident, right? And then they don't cause an accident, and you, you pray God's judgment on them. I wish a cop would have saw that. You know, you get evil in your heart. That's another topic, right? They're dangerous at the damage that they could cause. Scottish, Scottish novelist George MacDonald, he said this. He said, in whatever man, listen to this, this is really good. In whatever man does without God, he must fail miserably or even worse, succeed miserably. We do not have enough fear in our lives, in our own actions about how successful we could be in moving forward and getting our way without God and the damage that it could cause. I mean, look what came from Sarai's choice. Strained her relationship with Hagar, put Hagar in a place where she was tempted to have contempt to feel like she was better than Sarai. Sarai in return was so full of rage, she probably beat her, caused her to run away. It caused contempt between Sarai and her husband. Verse 5, Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. Abram's like, I'm just doing what you said. You know. May the Lord judge between you and me. And it resulted in the birth of Ishmael. And Ishmael, and if you know your history, and his descendants, they became perennial enemies of the Israelites. And Ishmael is a prominent, prominent figure in Islamic thought today because he was the firstborn son of Abraham. They claim him to be the, 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 the heir of the promise of God. Now, let me be clear. Not all people who are Muslim descend from Ishmael. That gets taught, which is not true. Some probably do, but not all. There were a lot more Arab population in that time outside of this family. But the truth is, Ishmael has become a focal point for the Muslim heritage. All because Sarai and Abram decided to run ahead of God. 
we do not fear enough our ability, our ability to cause collateral damage to those that we love and care about to this world when we recklessly run ahead of God. How many less relationships would be damaged and crushed because we recklessly run ahead to, to deal with people in relationships out of anger and frustration? How many less church splits would we see if people were so, so adamant they would write, that they were right about something, that they would push their agenda through at the cost of relationships? Or they were so adamant that something the church was doing was wrong that they would do everything to stop it? causing mass casualties in relationships. Church, we must be so careful not to get out in front of God. How many of us get into the wrong job that tears us away from God because we just weren't patient to wait? How many of us are in the wrong relationships, attached to the wrong people because we had sex outside of marriage because we were impatient and now we have this emotional soul attachment to them that should never have been there and it clouds our thinking. Example after example after example after example after example of what happens when we run ahead of God. Numbers 23 says, God is not a man that he should lie nor the son of man, that he might change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? God will do what he says. His promises that we've listed off week after week, he will fulfill. Our part is to be obedient to him, to trust in that, and to focus on what our next step is to honor him that we may tell a different story. He is with us. He is ahead of us. What is our next right step?